Is the SPAC phenomena coming to an end? Netflix earnings are unimpressive. And is Pinterest a buy? This is the Running With The Money podcast. Let's get into it. My, oh my, Wall Street has finally seen green once again. After two red days, the market is back. Oh my goodness, it was terrible. I hope you bought some of these opportunities that were presented. But if we take a look at the market today, we closed up in the green with the Dow Jones up 316 points, NASDAQ up 163, S&P 500 up 38, and the rest 2K up 51. Meanwhile, the VIX falling back down 6.32%. So what is going on in this market? Well, It's more of that choppy action we've been talking about. It's more of that action where the market is just very choppy. A lot of, a few names, the growth names mainly, are starting to consolidate some. We have the value names kind of questioning whether they can continue to move to the upside. And the market is lacking that leadership from a particular group of stocks. And really what I think is happening here is the market is trying to determine a leadership group. Um, And until we get that leadership group, there'll likely be more choppy action. Now, taking a look at some of the most recent headlines, the SPAC slowdown is real. So, in March, there was 109 new SPAC deals, according to CNBC. Now, in April, just 10, and we're more than halfway through the month. So, what? why the big slowdown? Well, the SEC is cracking down on these SPACs. They're closing, um, they're closing in on these SPAC deals that really are not beneficial to the retail investor, and they're also issuing accounting guidance. Now, they just issued accounting guidance a few days ago that classifies um, the SPAC's warrants as liabilities and not equity instruments and a lot of SPAC deal makers do not like that. They're not liking that here. Now, the SEC is also going after SPACs because if you take a look, a lot of these SPACs are getting absolutely pumped up on deal announcements. The managers of these SPACs are then selling out all of their shares that they held um, and the retail trader is stuck holding the bag. Kind of similar to what institutions sometimes do on an IPO. The institution sponsored the IPO. IPO comes out, stock goes to the moon off off day one and And then the institutions, they start selling out at the top and the retail investors keep trying to buy the dip. And well, the retail investors get crushed because it just keeps collapsing. Similar kind of to what we're seeing in these SPACs. Now, if you take a look at the data, um, this is the least amount of new SPAC deals that we've seen since September of 2020. So is the SPAC era coming to an end? Possibly. We never know. I really don't think it's coming to an end, but I do think that a lot of SPAC deal makers and people who have been in companies and managers who have been considering SPACs um, are taking a step back and kind of taking a look at how they can improve the system. Now, if we take a look here at the biggest analyst calls of the day, Morgan Stanley raising his price target on Apple by $1 to $158 bucks per share. And then Goldman Sachs uh, reiterating its sell rating on Apple. I disagree on the sell rating here on Apple by Goldman Sachs. Not sure what they're thinking. Apple's an iconic brand. It's not going anywhere. One of the best run companies in the world. Um, their services area continues to grow. They had an awesome um, spring event yesterday uh, where they released a variety of new products, more integration with the one chip, and I don't think Apple is going anywhere. Remarkable company, buy it. Now, City added a positive catalyst watch on Microsoft. I like it. We've talked about Microsoft plenty. Another one of those companies, one of the best-run companies in the world. They continue to expand to the upside. Um, They continue to grow their software offerings, and, you know, well, Microsoft isn't going anywhere either. Apple, Microsoft, two of those iconic names simply are not going anywhere. Oppenheimer named Amazon a top large-cap pick. 100% agree. A lot of growth ahead for Amazon, especially 
especially as e-commerce penetration continues to increase into the U.S. overall retail market, which currently it's still under 20%. And I do think that number eventually grows up over 20%, which means a lot more growth for Amazon because Amazon has a huge share of the online uh, or the e-commerce U.S. market. Now, Stifle, with an upgrade on Netflix to a buy from a hold, going against most of the consensus in the past 24 hours, but um, upgrading Netflix to a buy, saying opportunity in these earnings, and that transitions us perfectly into what's going on with Netflix in these earnings. So, if we take a look, Netflix just delivered earnings to us, and the numbers, well, they are mixed, definitely. Uh, revenues, they grew by 24% year over year. Um, they totaled $7.163 billion for Q1 2021 not too bad. Now, they missed their guidance, though. Um, so a lot of analysts were expecting slightly higher guidance here, and they delivered uh, $7.302 billion in revenue expectations for Q2 2021. That's roughly 18.8% growth year over year if they meet that target. Um, operating income totaled $1.960 billion. Now, that's up from $958 million, bucks, um, but it still did not impress enough. Now, Q2 2021 forecast for operating income is $1.8 $865 billion. Now, if we shift in the margins, margin operating margin improved significantly. In fact, operating margin went from 16.6% to 27.4%. So, a very nice jump there in operating margin. Now, net income, that totaled $1.7 billion. And that's definitely greater than the $709 million we saw in 2020, same time. And this is where it starts to get messy when we get into um, the additions or the subscriber additions to Netflix. So overall, Netflix finished out the quarter with 207.64 million net subscribers paid subscribers um, globally. Uh, and that is up from 182.86 million uh, million in Q1 2020. But that only means they added 3.98 million additions throughout the quarter, which is definitely not good because that's 2 million off of management's own guidance for additions and over 2 million off of the analyst expectations for additions. So missing their additions guidance on subscribers by over 2 million subs is huge. Um, and that's really what the street is not happy about. Now, if we take a look at how the stock reacted to this big subscribers miss, we see that it reacted not so happily. Um, Netflix currently is at 508, but once again, it's still within that trading range that has been in now since July of 2020. If you take a look at the beginning of July 2020, it hide out at around 548, and then it dropped all the way down to a support, which has held all the way until now around 5470. So now we're at 508, and it seems to be going back down to the bottom of that channel that it's been trading in now for seven, eight, nine months. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, what it really comes down to here on Netflix is the earnings, they weren't amazing. In fact, they were quite bad when it comes to additions because that's all the street cares about. Yeah, revenues grew. Yeah, all the numbers within the company on the financial basis expanded. And yes, they did grow. They added 3.98 million subscribers, but they missed by 2 million. They missed their guidance by almost half. Um, so at the end of the day, what it comes down to is Netflix needs to figure out how to get these subscriber growth numbers back up. Now, management attributed it to a huge boom throughout the 2020 pandemic, and now um, they're going, you know, that growth is going to slow. I somewhat disagree. I simply think that Netflix is falling behind to competition. Why? Because now you have Disney, 
out here with Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu, and they're packaging those. I think Disney Plus itself is going to be bigger than Netflix within the next five years. Their content simply better. Disney is producing even more content. Now we got HBO Max with all of their premier content. So at the end of the day, what I am seeing is I'm seeing all the companies and shows that used to go to Netflix are now going to their own company apps. And I think that's going to really hurt Netflix. It's going to have to really um, cause Netflix and Netflix is already starting to do it to spend more on their own content creation. And now they're starting to produce more content themselves. And that is going to create, well, it's going to be capital intensive. They're going to be taking more and more money out of the company's uh, revenues to create content, which that's what you have to do. You have to reinvest into the company. But at the end of the day, um, that's going to be a full-scale shift that Netflix is going to have to transition to, and they're already starting that transition. They're already well throughout that transition. Um, But definitely, I think this is part of that transition into filling Netflix's uh, library of content with more Netflix-created content and less outside-sourced content. And that is really going to be where Netflix has to go in the future, I think, to continue to attract subscriber additions. But, you know, Netflix is an excellent company, and I do think that you can buy it here or start the nibble on it here at 508. Um, it's towards the bottom of this range that it's been in, and eventually I think the stock turns back to the upside and continues to move higher. Because at the end of the day, the financials were solid here. It was simply subscriber additions and management did note that subscriber additions are going to come back at the end of 2021. So really, it was just Wall Street's reaction. Uh, the street, the market did not like it because the stock was priced above perfection. Um, and if they didn't deliver numbers that absolutely blew out, well, you got the reaction. We did a negative reaction. Now, shifting into Pinterest, and we're going to talk about Pinterest because a lot of you have been asking about it. Now, if you don't know what Pinterest is, it's a popular visual discovery platform that offers users the ability to create, share, and manage images related to themes. Now, given Pinterest's unique platform, the e-commerce potential is immense, leading the company to build and maintain partnerships with e-commerce leaders such as Shopify, which I love it. They partnered with Shopify here. Um, I believe they do also have a partnership with Etsy. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I firmly believe I'm correct. Um, And really, you take a look at Pinterest and it offers so much e-commerce potential because it's so much easier when it comes to Pinterest and the way the app is formatted to throw in not only ads, but to throw in almost like a shopping center um, within the app. And that is really what a lot of outside e-commerce companies love about Pinterest. And that's why it has so much e-commerce potential. Now, recently, Pinterest could be presenting an opportunity after a flat three months, while the name has been flat, you know, Obviously, over the past few months here, um, it has risen over 390% on the year, but the opportunity comes in the past few months where it has dropped and continued to drop. If I take a look at Pinterest right now, it's quite a ways off its highs. It's currently at 72 bucks a share, and its highs were all the way up to $90, just about 90 bucks a share, uh, like 70 cents shy of 90. Um, so definitely a name to take a look at here. It's definitely significantly off its highs, and now we're going to shift into the financials of this name. Now, digging into the numbers, Pinterest beat Q4 2020 expectations with an EPS of 43 cents. And that's a lot better than the EPS consensus estimate of 32 cents. Now, on a year-over-year basis, that's a 258.3% improvement in EPS. So I really liked to see that there. Um, EPS growth, boom, right off the bat, love to see it. Now, revenues impressed as well. They grew by 76% year-over-year to a strong 706 million bucks. Um, Now, breaking down that revenue growth, the international segment saw 145% revenue growth 
growth year over year, while the U.S. segment saw 67% uh, growth year over year in revenues. Now, if we break down by the numbers revenue, um, so in total, 706 million bucks, United States turned out $582 million, and the international segment, $123 million. So still a crap ton of growth in the international segment um, can be created there, and a lot of growth in the U.S. still is possible. Now, as for income, pitchers reported a strong net income of $207.841 million, and that's a 682% improvement in net income on a year-over-year basis. Now, for reference, they had a Q4 2019 negative net income of $35.718 million. So net income improved drastically. Now on a non-GAAP basis, uh, net income improved by 283% uh, year over year to $294.312 million. And for reference, once again, um, the previous level was $76.866 million in Q4 2019. So overall, right off the bat, we have strong revenue growth, strong EPS increases, and not only that, but net income, huge increases, and then on a non-GAAP basis, um, big increases in net income. Now, adjusted EBDA absolutely blew away expectations as well. And for all of you who don't know, EBDA, or E-B-I-T-D-A, stands for Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, Depreciation, and Amortization for all of those people out there who do not know. Now, pitchers reported a 287% improvement year over year in adjusted EBDA, taking adjusted EBDA to $299.182 million for the quarter. Now, this is Q4 2020, um, if you guys don't already know. Now, taking a look at their users, this is also where it got impressive. So, global monthly active users expanded, or MAUs, expanded by 37% year over year to a strong $459 million. Now, uh, MAUs further expanded 11% in the United States and 46% internationally. So, the growth in the United States much slimmer than internationally, but overall still growing by double digits. I like to see it. And I do think the United States segment is going to continue the boom. Um, and internationally, plenty of growth still to be seen there. So if we, by the numbers, break down their user base, Currently, globally, they have 459 million monthly active users. In the United States, 98 million monthly active users. And in the international segment, they have 361 million monthly active users. So big time international and still a lot of growth to be seen internationally. Now, as for average revenue per user or ARPU, Pitch reported a 29% jump in ARPU for Q4 2020. Furthermore, ARPU increased by 49% year over year within the United States segment in 67 percent in the international segment. So once again, they have revenue growth, net income growth, operating income growth. They have MAU growth. They have EPS growth. I mean, growth across the board and we're not even done yet. So management was quite upbeat about this quarter. Um, They said Q4 capped a remarkable year of growth for Pinterest, continued product innovation, execution, and an earlier and longer holiday season helped us deliver 76% year-over-year revenue growth, CFO Todd Morgenfeld said. Now, if we take a brief look at the full year 2020, Pinterest finished the year with $1.692 billion in revenues, and that's 48% revenue growth. Um, They also delivered a full-year net income um, at a negative of $128 million, uh, but that's a 91 1% improvement over the 2019 net income. So still big time improvements there in net income on a full year basis. Now, when it comes to guidance, um, management extremely bullish. They're expecting Q1 2021 revenue growth to land within the low range of the 70s. So 70 to 75% revenue growth in Q1 2021 
excellent. Now, the balance sheet really impressed me. They have no debt on the balance sheet. Their liabilities only total $367 million. Meanwhile, their assets, $2.609 billion, and their cash and short-term investments, $1.760 billion. So an excellent balance sheet over at Pinterest. Now, yes, Pinterest does trade at a premium. They trade at a forward PE of 58 times, a price to sales of 30 times, a forward a uh, price to book, not a forward price to book, a price to book of 20.36 times and a price to cash flow of 54.29 times. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, these growthier names, these growth names such as Pinterest, um, SE, or and all the others, Peloton, um, they're going to trade at a significant premium because the growth they are seeing is expansive and the future growth that is they are expected to see is also huge. Um, so obviously, they're going to trade at a higher valuable or a higher multiple um, when it comes to valuation. Now, management has done a solid job, but could be more effective with a return on equity of negative 6.02% a return on assets of negative 5.13% and a return on invested capital of negative 5.55%. So overall, they could definitely improve, but not bad numbers there. Now, given the numbers, the analysts are extremely bullish with a mean price target of $91.98, and that's roughly a 30% upside from its current price point. Now, the high price target is $107 per share or $107.5 per share, and that's roughly a 51% upside, while the low price target is $78 per share, and that's roughly a 10% upside. So really not bad uh, consensus coming out of the analyst, they're mostly positive here. Now, the big money is quite involved as well, with 71% of Pinterest being owned by institutions. Top holders include the Usuals, the Vanguard Group, BlackRock Institutional Trust, and Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Now, if you want a technical breakdown of Pinterest, go check it out at runningwiththemoney.com. Under the analysis section, you'll get the entire breakdown of Pinterest completely free. Go check it out. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what do I think about Pinterest? Well, in short, Pinterest, ticker sign pins, if you want to look it up, is a solid long-term pick with expanding revenues, a growing user base, a solid balance sheet, and a huge e-commerce potential. At the end of the day, it's a remarkably solid company. After I broke it down once again, it made me want to buy the stock. So I, it is on my watch list. I'll let you know if I do enter a position in Pinterest. But I see a very bright future for Pinterest. And I think it's going to be um, definitely a huge e-commerce name uh, in the future. So definitely one to check out. Now, shifting in to the overall market to round out the show. What is going on? What happened today? Well, pretty much green across the board. Um, the strongest sectors here, semiconductors, had a strong bounce back today. Um, we see Tesla the automakers getting a strong bounce back as well. Meanwhile, the financials, the credit services, um, the pretty much the entire financial sector bouncing back some, but not extremely. The industrials, a stronger bounce back, but you know, definitely not recouping all of their losses from the past two days. Um, so overall, a mostly green day today, um, but I do see some more weakness over in that consumer defensive space in that Walmart, Costco, Target, and Dollar General area. Um, you know, square down today, possible opportunity there. Adobe is a remarkable company. That's a another one that's down. Um, so definitely a lot of names to check out. That's another episode of the Running With The Money podcast. Um, we'll be back on Friday with even more market commentary, more market headlines, and more research to talk about. Thank you for listening to another episode. Until then, easily profit, trade on, and I will see you then.